Hi, I'm Brian Hoyland. I use a pseudonym TS Dismiss to tell my story. I've done that because I don't want to give the credit to myself or something that all I had to do was die to experience. But I do want to let you know because it gets confusing when people try to look me up and they don't know which one to find. I died of a cardiac arrest in 2017 and it was due to toxic chemical exposure from the military. Later on, it had caught up with me and ended up destroying my heart. I developed autoimmune diseases, one in particular that was devastating and really attacked my organs, left it with a lot of scar tissue. I didn't know this was happening at the time, so suddenly I started to have heart issues, and I'd always been an athlete, so I had very good level of physical fitness, and perhaps that delayed the results, but caught up with me and I went into a very serious cardiac arrest. I was in end stage heart failure for about five and a half months. And then I was in the ER this particular time and I was fighting for about seven hours and it was brutal. It was just the most painful, excruciating seven hours I've ever been through in my entire life. And I knew I was dying. I knew it was coming. And finally, I just had had enough. I couldn't take the stress of all the doctors and nurses as they called the code blue and they were losing me. But I did see a crucifix sitting on the wall, hanging there right at my feet. And it's the only place the doctors don't stand. They're busy doing things around you. So they did have a clearing there. So that was nice. I was able to see this crucifix and it really reminded me that God is with me and I could feel his presence with me. I, mean, I was terrified. I, I really was scared. So then I looked at this crucifix and I just started to pray to God and to ask him to allow me to just die. I had already confessed my sins for that seven hours. I asked him to just let me go because I really couldn't take it anymore. I'm not a person to quit. So this was something new for me. And I got this feeling that I was okay and that it was okay to die. I, I just closed my eyes and just stopped answering questions. I didn't want to respond to the doctors anymore and nurses and they kept asking me questions, but I just finally got out this. It was so hard to get it out too, but I said, I don't want to talk. And that was the last thing I said. And then I remember a shake and a pop and I exited my body. My soul just burst out of my body and I was in this dark tunnel. And I was looking at this dark void, like outer space, just without the luminous beings. It was just pitch black. And yet I could see depths into it. It really felt like it was just like emptiness, just totally barren and devoid of any kind of love or life or anything that was tangible as we know it. But I did feel this surge of just this overpowering love flowing into me. It was peace and joy. And I knew it wasn't coming from this dark void, but it was very similar to that comfort that I had prior to dying when I was praying, looking at that crucifix. And so I knew God was present. I just, I wasn't seeing him. And I was looking at this void and feeling these pleasurable feelings. And I just said, this can't be it. And it wasn't like I was just saying, oh, this can't be it. It was so much more in depth. My intelligence had increased by an amount I couldn't possibly tell you. And so it was more of this can't be the only existence having this wonderful feeling and nothing else. Just being sitting here in space with nothing else but this feeling. It had to come from somewhere. It was so powerful that I could tell it was alive. The love was actually alive. And 
that's when I, I saw that I was seeing into the dark. I could see depth into it. I could see into this dark void to be able to see the expanse of it. And so I knew that there was light. And of course, as soon as I started to see this, I realized I could see it 360 degrees. I had been able to see it the whole time, but I was so focused on that dark void that I failed to see that there was this bright light behind me. And what's really interesting about this is I actually turned. I didn't need to turn, but there was something that, that felt like I had to turn. I, I think now reflecting on it, I've come to the determination that it was my act of choice to turn towards the light. I wasn't being forced to do it. I could have probably sat there for however long I would have been allowed to looking at that dark void. This was an action that I chose to do. So I turned to the light and the whole time I could see the dark void and never lost sight of it. But now as I'm facing it directly to this light, I just instantly said, I want to be with this light. And I was there like that, instantaneous. I didn't feel any wind on my face. I didn't feel any kind of G-force or anything that would have given me the impression that I had moved as quickly as I had. But I was there very quickly and I could see that every step that I had taken, I had a memory of that. So it was really bizarre to try to describe time there because just wasn't like what we experience here. It was almost as if everything was happening on this little dot and it was all happening at once while also happening in a way that you can develop a story and be able to tell it and make sense. So there was some sort of a time, but it wasn't anything like what I could possibly even just begin to describe. It's really bizarre, but it was so cool. And I'm standing before this light and this light is where the love was coming from. I could just feel it emanating off of this light. And it was like just palpable. I could feel it permeating into my soul. And I was loving it. I was looking at this light that's far brighter than the sun. If we look at the sun, it hurts our eyes. But this light was like just warm and soothing to my eyes. And I remember thinking, I can't believe this light doesn't hurt my eyes. That's how bright it was. It was the brightest thing I've ever seen. But I could see in every direction. There was no limit to where I was able to see. So I'm looking in every direction at the same time and trying to find the end of this light. And I couldn't find it in any direction I went. And what was really cool is that my vision was, I was able to see what was happening right in front of me, looking straight forward in all the different directions, but I could also watch as my vision was traveling out. So I could actually see as I'm getting further and further down, trying to find the end of this light. And I, it was just not gonna happen. I knew that this light somehow was endless. And that's when I realized this is God. Now I didn't see his body, so I didn't have the beatific vision where you get to see God's body or however that is. That part I still don't know. But I do know that somehow this light was either was God or from God, but it was his love. There was definitely no question about it that this was God's love. And he said that I could come in. And as soon as he said I could come in, I, I went right in. It wasn't like I was forced to do it. This was a willing choice again. Every step that I took, I was able to make a decision to do it. It wasn't forced to. But I also don't know how anybody could resist it. When you feel that kind of love, it's so soothing to our soul. It's so wonderful. And so I'm in this light and I'm walking through it. And as I'm walking through the light, it was rushing into me just like a river. I live in Minnesota, so at this time of year, all the snow is melting and our rivers get really full and they're moving. They start going really fast. 
And that's kind of what it was like. This love was just pouring into me like a river that was just so strong and moving so rapidly. And I felt like a straw. I guess this is the only way I can really describe it with any kind of accuracy is that when you drink from a straw, you got the fluid down in the bottom of the cup. And as you're drinking it up, the straw is full. And as long as you're sucking on that straw, it's never empty. It's always replenished new. And that's what this love felt like. There was going to be no end to it, just as there was no end to that light. So it was as if I was going to have constant love coming into me for the rest of eternity. And it was always going to be fresh and new. So that was really reassuring because as a young child, I always used to think heaven would be boring when my grandpa, he would say, oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of singing and dancing. That's boring stuff to me. I'm not interested in that. He was really good about it, trying to explain it, that it's not going to be boring to do it there. But at the same time, as a kid, who can really understand that? And even as an adult, how do we understand it? So as I'm experiencing that, I just, I had this just warm, soothing feeling that God really does have our best interests at heart. And I think sometimes you're laying in a hospital room like that, you can question that, have these feelings that you don't understand why something is happening to you. And there, everything was being mended. All those broken places that I had were being healed. And I could feel God's love going into those broken places. And I'm not sure that I would have experienced his love in that same way had I not had some kind of contrast with that, with the negatives that I had in life. So that was really wonderful. And then I just remember saying, I wanted to see Jesus. And as soon as I said that, the light opened up. And I'm in this entry room. I could tell it wasn't the fullness of heaven. I don't know if you guys have them like this over there. In, but we have mud rooms, little entry rooms that are they have a little bench. And you put your shoes and stuff underneath it and coats. And just a little entry room where you don't bring in all the dirt into the house. I felt like it was that. It was like a greeting room. A room that as you get into it, you can adjust to what is be in store. And so I'm in this room and there was just a countless sea of beings. They all had human torsos, but I couldn't see human features. It was this bright light all throughout their bodies. And all of them had different levels of light. Some were more beautiful than others, but all of them were extremely beautiful. And I could see one right in the middle that was far brighter than all the rest. It was just as magnificent and resplendent as that light that I was now encased in that I had come to from that dark tunnel. And so this being I could tell was Jesus. And I'm looking at him and I said to him, without saying any word, I should point out, I didn't hear any sounds. Everything was silent and intellectually based. So when I talked to Jesus or even when I said anything at all, it was more of an intellectual thought. Like my thought, he could understand or feel or read my thought. When I talked to him, I knew what he was thinking. It wasn't even as if I had to hear his voice in my head. It was just imprinted intellectually into my mind. And he asked him to see his face. And when I said that, his face started to come together and I could see his face, but I don't have a memory of that. Even there, I wasn't able to lay down the memory. It was just a bright light, as bright as the light that I had seen coming in. It was just one of those little flip books where it's got an animation on it and the animation moves. Every page is a different action scene, but slightly different than the one before it. So it looks like it's moving. That was what it was like. I could see his face and the expressions that he was making, but I couldn't 
actually lay it down. It was already, the page was turned and it was gone out of my memory. I still don't know why that is that I wasn't able to see it. I'm not sure that it's really that important that I have that memory. I don't know if I could even survive here having had that experience because seeing him the way I did, it, there's a longing to see him again. And so we're now talking about my life review, if people call it, but it was a judgment, if you will, except he wasn't judging me. I was judging myself. We were going over my life and I was really appalled at the things that I had done. As I'm looking at this beautiful, loving being who died for me, but just has this immense love for me. I was so appalled at the things that I had done, particularly things that I had done to other people or failed to do for other people. Those things hurt me a lot more than sometimes we get caught up in the big things, but usually we're fairly sorry for those. They're pretty obvious when we do something that's really bad and we feel guilty and shameful about it. There were a lot of things that I justified. A lot of things that I said, well, I was hurt by this person, so I have the right to do it back. But usually what we do is we up the ante. We got hurt first, so we're going to do it a little bit more. That's just how that human nature works. And so I'm looking at these things and I'm really judging myself. And during this whole thing, he was healing me of those wounds because not only do those wounds hurt that other person, they hurt Jesus and they hurt me. There's a residual effect there and we can't really escape that interconnectedness that we have as human beings. So I'm really getting this understanding of how my actions have harmed other people. And so that was wonderful. It was actually a really healing process. Even now, it's helped me to reshape how I view humanity and even how I'm willing to accept things that I would never have taken before because I have hope that I can help create change in another person. And the only way I can do that is through kindness and love. I realized that force against force goes nowhere. It's just going to balance itself out and it's going to create chaos. Whereas love can change so many things. I was experiencing it there. It was changing me. And so I had this memory of when I was a small child and I had prayed after my great grandmother's funeral that I would have a long life. I had saw all my aunts and uncles, they were all crying and everybody was really upset about it. And it was a small child. I didn't want to have everybody feel that way about me. So I asked God for this long life and I really felt like he answered that prayer. And I was 42 when I had this cardiac arrest. So I don't consider that at all a long life. And <clears throat> I asked him about that. And he said that he did answer that prayer affirmatively and that the option was still there that I could have a long life. But then he asked me, why would you want to go back? And this wasn't a simple, why would you want to go back for all these wonderful things that you could do or anything like that? It was so much more in depth, it encompassed all of that. And yet it wasn't about the going back because my family needed me was the thing that I came up with. I really love my family and I wanted to be there for them. And I certainly didn't want them to suffer. I've had super small children at that time. And so that wasn't really what he was looking for. He showed me how he loves my family more than I do and that he was going to be the one to help them. And that while I do provide some assistance in that, I'm not as powerful as I tend to think I am. I don't have as much control over things as I wish I probably had. So that wasn't the answer he was looking for. And so I, I was thinking about it and I, 
did take long to figure out, but as I reflect on it even now, it was so obvious that his love that I was feeling was what I wanted to go back for. I wanted to do more for him. I wanted to be able to tell other people how much he loves us, to provide hope for people, because I think in our lives, we often lose hope of the situations we see going on around us and the way people treat each other and the way we treat other people. And I, I just felt his love was so powerful. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't even want to get a better place in heaven or some kind of reward from him. There was no, no ulterior motives. This was a purely just a desire to do this because of how much his love impacted me. And when I had thought of that, and obviously I was talking at the same time, but it was, again, it was just the intellectual talking, but he said, that's it. And so then he tells me three things that I have to do when I come back. And again, like I said, this is all happening at once. So as you think about it, it's happening as he's explaining my life review, but it seems to be that it came more on the back end of it. But what he was explaining to me was how I needed to pray more. And that's more of like my communication with him throughout my whole life, not just getting up in the morning and saying my prayers, but actually living a life of prayer. Everything that I do had to be done in the proper order of glorifying God. There's no purpose in going out and doing a good deed for somebody if I expect something in return. That's my reward. I've already gotten it because I wanted something out of it. And so it flipped everything for me that I really had to live this life of prayer, even doing small things that I tend to think are tedious and they provide a lot of monotonous boredom. I find joy in them now because the way that he wanted me to look at it is that everything has a purpose if done for the right reasons. And even picking up a piece of trash off the sidewalk, you never know what kind of effect that might have on somebody else or just giving somebody a smile. That's something that I've realized can be a really strong way of living out a life of prayer because we're sharing kindness with another person, which is sharing love. It's on the lower end of it, but it's certainly a lot better than giving them a gruff look. And so the second thing was that I had to suffer joyfully. And suffering joyfully is not an easy thing for human beings to do because we just rack our brains trying to figure out how to get out from underneath of the suffering. So we spend a lot of energy doing that. And yet we don't really have a lot of control over the sufferings that we might have in our lives. It doesn't mean we don't go to the doctor and try to get better when we're sick or try to alleviate things if we have the ability to. But it's when we realize that we don't have the ability to change something, it doesn't mean we give up on life and just start to become bitter and forlorn about everything. It means that we need to still accept it and live our lives as best we can, despite whatever handicaps we might have. And then the third thing was that he wanted me to share his love. And believe it or not, this one can be a little bit more tricky. It sounds really easy to do. All you have to do is love people. People can be cantankerous. It can be hard to deal with at times. And it makes it hard for us to trust that if I keep showing this person love, am I going to be taken advantage of? Are they going to ridicule me. Yeah, they might. These things happen, but we don't know what's going to happen later with that person because us sharing that love is often planting a seed that is going to grow within that person. It just doesn't grow if we don't share it. And that's a for sure. And yeah, that person doesn't have to accept it, but I'm not in control of that end of it. I'm only in control of the giving. So that was actually kind of easier to start living. I've 
found that this is something that the way that he implanted it into me, I don't know if he does that for everyone. I can only speak for myself, but the way that he implanted it in me is so pure because I, when I think about this experience, I can still feel his love, not nearly to the degree that I did when I was there, but I never doubt his love for me anymore. And so after this, he said that I had to go back. And when I went back, that was the only time I felt any kind of pain while I was there. And it wasn't a physical pain. I didn't have a body. So it wasn't as if I was feeling pain like that, but it was like a heaviness. Like my soul just didn't want to leave. But as soon as I turned to go, I had to go back the exact same way that I came in. But I couldn't see Jesus anymore. I could only see in front of me. And I guess I should probably reiterate this point is that whatever I was focusing on, that was my memory that I still have now. So even though I saw Jesus' face and I could see the other beings, I can't remember anybody who was there. So it was only Jesus that I was focusing on. And to me, it makes sense because when you see Jesus, that's really the only thing you're going to want to focus on. But I remember that I wasn't able to see him behind me. And I definitely was trying to keep a view of Jesus, but I wasn't able to. So I don't know if he blocked it or if it was just because I went back in through the light. Whatever reason that I wasn't able to see behind me on that. But I went right to my tunnel. And as I'm going into my tunnel, I see that it's no longer that dark void at the end. It's actually my hospital room. And I'm looking at my hospital room from the position of my lying down bed or body. My body's laying on this hospital bed and these doctors are working on me. And there's this big green machine on me. It's called a Lucas machine, but it's like a CPR machine. I could see what it was doing to my body. I could see where people were. And so I'm going back to this extremely chaotic situation. And I'm knowing that the pain's going to be worse, that I'm going back to it. But I wasn't afraid this time. I gave up on the way going out of life, but coming back into life, knowing that things weren't any better and probably were going to be worse since I had just died. I had this hope. I had the sense of courage because I knew that Jesus was with me. And it wasn't as if I doubted beforehand, but it certainly had changed and elevated. This was suffering joyfully at work. I was going back to this, knowing that I'm going to have this extreme situation. And yet I had this hope that I could come back and share my story and perhaps help other people to accept Jesus and be able to be saved and experience this wonderful experience as well. So when I got back to my body, I snapped right back into it. It was very simple. I don't know if there's any key to it or not. It was very easy to do. But as soon as I did, I tried to get up as much as I could, but I was strapped down and I had stuff hooked up to me. I tried to ask the doctor, did I just die? Because I didn't believe in near-death experience prior to this. And I'm a psychotherapist, so I really was more into science. I definitely believed we died and would go to heaven. I didn't have an issue with that, but I just didn't believe that people were coming back. I didn't realize also how many people do die and come back. That's something now that I've looked into and it's actually quite a statistical anomaly of how many people are coming back and having these kinds of experiences. So it's been new for me, but I remember trying to ask the doctor, did I just die? And he didn't hear me at first because you got all this stuff on you. And so he comes down closer to me and I'm trying to get this out. And I love telling this part because the look on the doctor's face was priceless. They had taken that Lucas machine off prior to me getting back into my body. I don't know that they were going to give up on me or if they had gotten my heart back. I didn't pay attention to that, but I 
love the look on this doctor's face because his face looked like it was dead white. And he would look like he was talking to a corpse. And so he comes down closer and I said it again. And he's, yeah, you just died. And then they just continued about working on me. And I'm sitting back and I was just as much pain as I was in. They had broken a couple ribs with that machine. It does some pretty deep, hard compressions. It's, it's not a play toy. So there was a couple broken ribs. My body had gone through so many things. I've been shocked a bunch of times. And so there was a lot of extra damage that was being done. And I felt great. I felt this ecstasy that was not quite like the love that I had experienced, but was far better than any experience I've ever had or had. I've never even experienced anything like that since. It was just so powerful. And it lasted that whole week that I was in the hospital. It was really incredible feeling and i like to tell this part too because it's not about me i want to make sure that everybody realizes it's not because i'm some tough guy i used to think i was tough but this was well beyond my abilities i had to go into an emergency surgery to get a new pacemaker defibrillator put in they had one on my side but it didn't have the pacemaker feature just had the defibrillator so they wanted to put one in up here and when they do that, they have to put the wires down and into your heart. So they have to put this all in there. But they were only able to give me a local anesthesia. So they were able to do that in the skin, but they couldn't give me anything else because they were so worried about my heart stopping again. So as they put that local in, kind of numbs things up. But like I said, they're going way down there. And I remember the doctor kept asking me about, if you have any discomfort, let me know. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't think I'm going to have an issue with it. I felt wonderful the whole time he's talking to me and I'm cracking jokes and but I was trying to just focus on my experience, but it was so easy to have a conversation and still think about this experience that I had just had. And it, I didn't feel this surgery at all. It was as if it was just no problem whatsoever for me to go through this. And I just think that's a powerful testament to how much his love can carry us because this certainly wasn't from myself. This was something that God had put a lasting memory on for me. That's my story. It was just a wonderful experience that, that I want to share with everyone.